Are you ready? <laughs> you got this, girl. Love Girls, the podcast is all about storytelling and empowerment. Our mission is to share a space for women and girls to talk about the stuff that matters to them most. Love speaks to the support we give each other as we search for our own path to success. L, we can lead the way. O, overcome barriers. V, value each other. E, and empower each other. That's love. Because every girl has a story. And our stories matter. I'm Michaela Hughshaw. Welcome to another episode of Love Girls, the podcast. Hi, I'm Mariah Martinez, lifetime volunteer of Love Girls magazine. I'm sitting in today for Kira. And I'm sitting in today for Brianna. But today's topic is all about the movies. So Mariah, I have to ask you, what is your favorite movie? I am a huge Marvel fan. Anything Marvel is my jam, but specifically Black Panther. Okay. Okay. I understand. See, I am totally not a Marvel fan, but I do have to say that Black Panther was such an iconic film, especially for the black community and really just like how empowered it made us feel. Um, Yeah. I'm trying to think what's my favorite movie. Oh my goodness. Okay. The go-to that I always say is my childhood favorite movie, and that is Beauty and the Beast. And I'm not going to lie. I could still sit down and watch Beauty and the Beast like all day. I know. Disney definitely knows what they're doing. Yeah, they truly do. They absolutely do. But today we actually have a really cool topic where we're diving into a very iconic person in the industry. And so let's talk about that, Mariah. Yeah. Did you know that Hattie McDaniel was the first black woman to win an Oscar? Um, I did. I did actually know this, but it is not something that I learned until I was in college. And I feel like that's so troubling because this is definitely something that I feel like I should have known in elementary school or junior high. This definitely should have been a big part of the black history curriculum because, yeah, I feel like I know so much about like MLK, but I didn't know this. I have to completely agree. It wasn't until I took an African-American literature class in college as well that I learned about these iconic role models that I definitely wish I knew as a mixed, you know, young Black woman to really shape and mold my perspective of important Black role models. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In February of 1940, she became the first African-American artist to win an Academy Award. She won this for her role as Mammy in the movie Gone with the Wind. It would be another 51 years before a second Black actress, who is Whoopi Goldberg, would win an Oscar in the same category. And today we're really diving into learning about the Hattie McDaniel estate, but also we're diving into talking about her representation. Uh, on the big screen and really what that did for people. Obviously, that was met with both celebration and also hesitation and criticism uh, because people thought that she was only portraying one kind of Black woman, one kind of really Black character. And I'm really excited to dive into this conversation today and to get some more insights from those who are really in the industry or even are related to McDaniel herself. Joining us today is Kevin Goff, CEO of the Hattie McDaniels Estate. 
Mr. Goff is a filmmaker, actor, and public speaker. He attributes much of his entrepreneurial spirit to his legendary entertainment family, the McDaniels. Kevin Goff is the great-grandnephew of actress Hattie McDaniel. Mr. Goff continues to honor her legacy by inspiring the newest generation to take courage for her trailblazing accomplishments. Welcome, Mr. Goff. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be here, and um, yeah, I'm excited. We are also so excited to thank you for taking some time to hang out with us today. And also with us today is Maya J. Pinson, and Maya is 16 years old. She is an actress, writer, and filmmaker. She is also a member of the Young Artist Academy. The Academy recently partnered with the Hattie McDaniel Estate. So Maya, can you please explain the Hattie McDaniel's Thank You Project and how you were involved in that? The Hattie McDaniel Thank You Project was a collection of videos of people of different races, different ages, just everyone showing our gratitude to Hattie McDaniel because she has definitely paved the way in the film industry, radio, everything, even just as normal everyday lives because we all watch movies. So she is a trailblazer. After becoming a member of the Young Artist Awards for Black History, they invited me to share some of Hattie's accomplishments for the Thank You Project. And I'm so honored that they chose me because before then, I have to admit, I didn't really know much about Hattie. So because of the project, I've learned so much about her accomplishments. And coincidentally, a week later after the project, I was assigned a Black History Project to you know do a report on a African-American figure in history. And I chose Hattie. And through the Hattie McDaniel Thank You Project, I learned so much about her that I received an A on the project a week after I did the Thank You Project for the Young Artist Awards. That is such good news. That is incredible. I love to see that. Mr. Goff, what is the mission of the Hattie McDaniels Estate? And what was the goal in partnering with the Young Artist Academy? It was this, this mission to connect performers of today, young performers, so that they would know about the history that happened before, the trailblazers, what they went through, the the barriers, the the, the discrimination. Um, so Maya, along with some other young performers, I mean, they they did these videos um, honoring Hattie, and and they all knocked it out the box. I mean, they just I was I was overwhelmed by how beautiful it was to to hear these younger performers in this generation talk about someone who was in a generation, you know, near the start of Hollywood. And with the estate of Hattie McDaniel and the Young Academy, um, our goal was, was you know, several goals. And, and one was to show that we can instill in these young performers empathy and how to treat each other, how to be professional, um, how to come back from setbacks. You know, if you get knocked down, get back up. Because as you know, the entertainment industry is is not always the easiest industry to be in. So I commend anyone in the arts. Yes. And I, I really think it's wonderful that they were able to learn so much about Hattie and just the trailblazing individual that she was. And I hope that it offered, you know, the younger people that are trying to get into the industry, some sort of encouragement. I, I really hope that it did that. Yeah. I mean, when you look at Hattie, 
she was in radio prior to film. And of course she had challenges there as well. I mean, if you're if you're a black person born in the eighteen hundreds, <laughs> you know, that was that was a challenge in itself. And we still have challenges today. So you can only imagine what challenges were were present then. So I I am a hundred percent sure that if Hattie were here right now, and, and she's probably in the heavens just just glowing, she's beaming because she loved to mentor other performers um, during her time. So to connect her legacy um, with the Young Artists Academy and to create a bridge, I mean, that that's everything. Yeah, it is. It's truly a beautiful partnership. It is. Now, Maya, can you tell us what got you started in acting and what kind of roles that you've had so far on this journey? Yeah, so I've been involved in magazine advertisements. I started when I was one years old. In elementary school, I performed in a couple of school plays, and I had a lot of fun. So then I began attending an acting camp with Shooting Future Stars. And when I turned 11, that was when I enrolled in the camp. And honestly, that was what ignited the spark. From then on, I knew that I wanted to pursue acting professionally. And since then, I've done short films, featured films, PSA projects, a series podcast, and more. And I, I just finished wrapping up a TV show, which will be released in November, with the EWTN network all across the United States and Europe. But I can't disclose too many details yet, but it's going to be called Cabejo. And it's it's a docudrama series, and it is super interesting. I'm super excited to see it. And I filmed in Law & Order. I played in Dad's to it. Dad Do It Too. It's a new TV pilot. And I've also written and produced two films called I'm Ready and The Description. Okay, that's incredible that you did Law and Order. I can't get over that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've filmed on two separate episodes with Law and Order. You're going to have to tell us what episodes you're on so we can look out for you. Season 20, episode one and two. What was your role? In one of the episodes, I was a featured student, so it was a school shooter episode, so I was one of the students who ran out, and I ran next to the main character, and we had to get escorted out by the police officers. And in the second episode, I was also another student, it was another school scene that we shot in New York. I got screen time for both of the roles. That's so exciting. Fun fact, when the magazine was in New York for the Harry Connick Jr. show, they were actually filming in the hotel that I was at. Oh, really? Wow. Did you get a chance to meet any of the cast or crew? We saw them from afar, but we were actually running to the show because I had to beat Michaela. If you haven't seen the episode, I surprised Michaela in New York, so I had to beat her out of the hotel. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) okay. Does that mean you're going to sing a Harry Connick Jr. song right now for us? (laughs) I'll leave that to Mariah. (laughs) I'll leave that to Michaela. (laughs) So it looks like it's not happening. (laughs) 
Gone with the Wind is considered one of the greatest films of all time, but it was not without its criticism. Her role as a happy Southern servant made her a controversial figure in the liberal black community, which sought to end Hollywood stereotyping. When criticized for taking such roles, McDaniel responded that she would rather play a maid in the movies than be one in real life. Mr. Goff, what are your thoughts on the portrayal of slavery in this movie and the role of media in general, shaping how we see historical events? Well, I know that Hattie was in, for one thing, survival mode. And, you know, that goes back to her parents who were born into slavery. And her father was a Civil War veteran. And after the Civil War, you know, he was he was injured during that war. And he still tried to find work, even though he was probably diminished a great deal physically. And of course, Hattie saw this growing up, how determined he was. So the, the siblings, including Hattie, her brothers, Sam and Otis, and her sister, Etta, who was my great-grandmother, they eventually, they all went on the road. They performed vaudeville, tent shows, whatever, you name it, they were on the road performing to help with the family as far as putting food on the table and you know um, creating revenue. So you can imagine Hattie's life was just filled with this drive to not just think about herself, but to think about her family, you know, her close friends. And when Gone with the Wind was was announced that it was going to be made into a movie, everybody you know, they knew about it. They knew about the book. Um, there was controversy, of course, involved. Hattie's mindset was not just survival, but also, look, this is going to be the biggest film ever. Was, at the time, it was the most expensive film ever made. And her thought was, if I can make a difference, if I can deliver a performance that shows that we as, as people of color deserve more opportunity in the industry, then that's going to help the next generation. So she was very well aware that she was going to receive criticism and applause from both sides, the white community and the black community. But she she said, you know what, I'm going to bite the bullet. I know I'm going to get criticized in this regard um, as far as the role. But we also have to remember that any movie, any role that a black person or even Hispanic, Asian, and Native American, any roles that they took were stereotypical. There was no option in Hollywood. So I, I get why some people wanted to criticize Hattie, and I get why they, they picked her as the target because she won the Oscar, and she was gonna be in this, this huge movie, but there was, no, there was no option to do anything else if you were gonna entertain in that medium, in that in that space, and she felt she can open the door, and she felt that I might not benefit fully from what I'm about to do, but maybe the next generation and the next generation after that will benefit. And really, she was able to set an example, but also be that trailblazer, like we had said earlier, because now you look at entertainment, uh, whether that be in TV shows or in movies, and you do see multifaceted, you know, whole uh, black 
representation and not just those stereotypical roles that really, like you said, those were the only things that were available. I do understand the criticism, but I think what she did was so powerful and it really set the tone for this upcoming generation of entertainers that we currently have. And I think that that's really important too. Um, And also, you know, she wasn't the only person that has experienced this sort of criticism. People are still kind of dealing with this today too. Um, More recently, you had Morgan Freeman, who was criticized for his role in Driving Miss Daisy. And the same goes for Viola Davis with her role in The Help, which was very much being the help. And so Maya, as a young actress, you know, what are your thoughts on playing a stereotypical role? Would you ever play a maid? Yes, I I would accept the role of a maid. I wouldn't mind playing a stereotypical role because I know that mentally I am separate from the character. As long as the role that I'm playing is not demeaning to my personal brand or my actual reputation and who I am as a person, And most people in the industry play roles that are the complete opposite of who they are in real life. The most outgoing and fun and wild characters that you see on TV, they're playing that role because in real life, they could be the most shy and timid person you can meet. Acting is acting. And like Hattie said, she'd rather play a maid than to be a maid. And I love that mindset. Do you feel like there is you know, it's, it's 2021. Do you feel like there is still a place in the industry for stereotypical roles? Or do you feel like we're at a point now where we should move past that? You know, stereotyping people and using those as jokes and, you know, punchlines and stuff, of course it's wrong. But that's kind of entertainment these days. I feel like there is a line that should be drawn but that is like just entertainment. There's all there's always going to be that in Hollywood. If if you're a black performer and the only choice you have is to play a maid or a butler, then yeah, I could that's a problem because that's all you, that's all they're going to give you. I I think when we have multiple options on the type of characters we play, then it's not bad because you're not being pigeonholed into just one particular genre or one particular type of character. You're not being, I mean, if, if the script calls for a certain character or characterization, that's fine if we're also being allowed to play doctors and we're also being allowed to play, you know, heroic people and not just someone in a drive-by and not someone just selling drugs. If, if we're giving the, the full range of our capabilities and the full range of stories that we have, just like the other communities, you know, white communities, et cetera. If we are allowed to do the same thing, then it wouldn't be a problem. The problem was because while they were able to play any and any, you know, in every role that they desired because they were controlling the industry and they still do, that was good for them, but it wasn't good for people of color because they were being told, look, we're just going to let you play these one or two possibilities, that's it. And it created a sort of a stigma on on the black person because I'm sure that the white communities, some of them truly believe that we were like that. 
when we weren't. I I'm, I know so many brilliant, <laughs> you know, brothers and sisters. It's I I I can't even count them all, and included including everyone on this call right now. And I, I see why Maya got an A on her on her test, by the way. Yes, I want to also piggyback off of what you said. I completely agree with you, Mr. Kevin, because if I really do think that this all this is also circumstantial. So I think it is okay to play stereotypical roles because one of my favorite TV shows is called The Underground, which follows the Making Seven, a group of slaves who escape from a plantation. And each member of the group was somewhat a different type of, you know, stereotypical Black person. And as you're watching the show, it's super informative because you really are watching the show and they really get down to the details of to the brutality of slavery, the everything they went through from living on the plantation to escaping to meeting some white people who helped them to freedom. And if I think that if we were to cancel anybody playing stereotypical roles, then that would kind of put a roadblock into educating people of slavery or any other type of historical event. Say, for example, even if it was a movie about the Holocaust and I'm a Jewish actor and I'm searching for roles and I fit the description of maybe that documentary. I don't want to just say, oh, no, I don't want to play this role because I have to play a Jewish, a Jew who is in the Holocaust. I think that sometimes playing a stereotypical role can be beneficial to maybe you as in building your resume or to spreading knowledge and educating other people of historical events. That's a very, very good point to make too. Definitely something that people maybe hadn't even thought of either. So thank you guys for your input on that. Yes, that was amazing. Actress Monique was the fifth African-American woman to win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for her role in Precious, 70 years after Hattie McDaniel. Mr. Goff, were you surprised that Monique would mention Hattie McDaniel and not others who had won more recently? Actually, I I, I wasn't totally surprised. Um, Other people have mentioned Hattie before in their speeches, even white performers. And... um, you know, I, I think it came from a place of gratitude. And as, as Monique said, if it wasn't for Hattie and the trail she blazed, maybe she wouldn't be, you know, Monique, maybe she wouldn't be standing there with that opportunity. It's something that, you know, we look back on on the people that helped pave the way for us. And you know what, regardless of the industry, you know, you could be an accountant, you can be whatever. Hopefully there's always somebody who's behind the scenes or in, in in front of the camera, whatever. And they're, they're trying to improve a situation for, you know, a culture, a body of people, and to show that we are more than how we were portrayed, especially back then in those times. Yeah. And nowadays, thanks to people like, you know, Hattie and other people of color, now you do see a whole bunch of representation. Just like how Mr. Kevin said earlier, back then we were limited to whatever role that was handed to us. But now in almost every show you see, if not every show you see, you see people of color playing any type of role, doctors, lawyers, business owners. And even if it gets down to the nitty gritty stuff, drug dealers, whatever the role may be, 
you do see the representation with people of color across the board, not even just African-Americans. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great that we've been able to, to witness films like A Black Panther and Mandela. Um, you had Forrest Whitaker playing Idi Amin um, over, you know, the dictator in Africa. You have these, these different bodies of work showing us in different lights from, you know, kings and and civil rights champions and women's rights. And, you know, there are all these different things that are available, these different roles that weren't available um, during Hattie's time. I mean, and, and another thing is Hattie actually had been a maid before. She she knew that life. She she scrubbed floors. She um, cooked. So she she knew exactly what she was saying when she said, I'd rather make $700 a week playing a maid than $7 a week being one. Well, she had been one before. And I'm sure most women, Black women during that time, had did some type of domestic work um, such as that. No, I completely agree with you both. And I'm happy that we are able to have those more multifaceted representations because, you know, our white counterparts have always had that. And so I'm happy to see that happening for not only the black community, but also the brown community and really just a lot of other minorities that hadn't been showcased before in the way that they should have been. So I think that we're definitely moving in the right direction when it comes to representation. I want to ask, why is it that uh, Hattie McDaniel has two stars in Hollywood? One is for radio and the other is for films. And she had she had a um, very prolific, long career in radio, even before she made it to Hollywood. And of course, we know that she had a you know, for her, a very successful film career. Um, it's been said that she was in over 300 films and she probably got credit for about 80 or 85 films. And that was un- unusual, especially for a black performer to be in a picture and not get any credit, not show up in the credits. She earned um, both of those stars. She probably should have more than two, but hey, that's just me. And where are her stars located? One star is located... It's around the 6,000 block of Hollywood Boulevard. It's in front of what used to be Grauman's Chinese Theater, where they have the handprints and the, and the feet print and cement. So he, she has a star over there. It's not far from um, the Hollywood and Highland Kodak Theater area. And then she has a star on Vine Street off of Hollywood. I, I believe it's 1719 Vine Street. And that's... um almost directly across the street from Capitol Records, the big circular music building. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'll be visiting Hollywood this summer, so I'll have to look out for those. Yeah, if we, if we happen to be in LA at the same time, let me know. Um, I'll, I'll take you on a tour of these, these Hattie landmarks, um, like the home she lived in, where she's buried, um, different things like that. I've always wanted to go to Cali, so whenever we're planning this trip to tour Hattie's, you know, <laughs> places let me I want to come to Mr. Goff I've read that Hattie donated her astounding Oscar to Howard University do you know what happened to her lost Oscar wow I wish I did um you know uh, apparently and and I have to I'm waiting for a copy of the will to come in but the story is that Hattie left the Oscar to Howard University um, in her will. And 
it's it's an interesting story because when Gone with the Wind was having their premiere in Atlanta, Hattie wasn't able to attend the premiere because of her skin color, along with the rest of the black cast. But there was a young black man at the time who was about 10 or 11 years old who was there with a choir, a black choir, that were there to entertain. And that choir featured a young Martin Luther King Jr. So here you have Martin Luther King Jr., 10, 11 years old. He's at the premiere. Hattie can't be there, even though she's in the film and has a prominent role and would go on to win the Oscar. And then almost 30 years later, something would happen that connected them as well. Martin Luther King would be assassinated in 1968 in Memphis. And there were riots across the United States. Um, Two of the hardest hit cities were Chicago and Washington, D.C. And of course, D.C. is where Howard University is, which where Hattie's Oscar was. And sometime after the riots, it, it could be any time between 68 and 1970, around there, it vanished. And it hasn't been seen since. And we're talking about 50 years. And there, there are theories on where it could be. Um, someone said, oh, I threw it in the lake, the Potomac Lake. Um, other people theorized that it, it was burned in the fires. You know, there was a lot of looting and National Guard and German shepherds being, a, you know, attack dogs on, on black people in the community. Um, people died. But um, who knows? It could be sitting in someone's base, basement. In their basement, they don't know what it is because it was a plaque, actually. It wasn't the statue, but it was still an Oscar. It hasn't shown up on eBay. So um, you you can kind of figure if it hasn't turned up now, it's probably gone. And I have had discussions with the Academy um, in regards to replacing it. And we'll see how that goes. Well, I think her legacy definitely deserves to have it be replaced. But I'm happy that... You know, she's still able to live on, but I would be very upset (laughs) if that was something that was uh, a part of my family and I wasn't able to find it. So I'm hoping that they do replace that. Yeah, if you think of it, Hattie had a lot of um, challenges when she was alive. I mean, um, they wouldn't allow her to be buried at the cemetery she requested because she was Black. They... The white neighbors tried to get her removed from her home that she purchased because they didn't want people of color moving into those communities, even though they could afford it. You know, Hattie could definitely afford it at the time. So that went to the Superior Court and Hattie and her group, they won that decision. And that sparked the California housing laws and housing laws across the United States. So Hattie had these these horrible things that were being thrown her way. But at the same time, while she's being treated that way because of her skin color, she still found it in her heart to entertain the troops during World War II and visit soldiers in hospitals. She mentored other people in the industry, black or white. She she threw parties at her home every weekend. Clark Gable, one of her great friends, would show up every time. So it just shows you how unselfish she was. And that was a big reason why we entered a partnership with the Young Artists Academy because we wanted to show that here was this amazing black woman who had all these challenges and, and, and all these, you know, the segregation of the time, the racism, but she still had this giving heart. 
And I think if the performers of this generation learn that and take that with them and practice that, then they're going to be in a great place. And it's, you know, it's, I mean, for me, it's the only way to be. My next question was going to be, you know, what do you want young people to know and remember her by? But I think you just said that so eloquently. Um, You know, Maya, is there anything that comes to mind when it comes to the legacy that you would want even the next generation to remember about her? I think anyone looking to get into the industry and honestly, everyone as a whole, like should learn about Hattie's accomplishments and you know, try to picture what she was faced with. We can't even fully imagine what Hattie went through to make it to stardom. Hattie was turned away from countless productions simply because of the color of her skin. And, but because of her perseverance, she became a trailblazer in the film industry. She motivated thousands of people and her willpower, it was her willpower that kept her pushing forward. And that truly inspires me to follow my dreams because like I said, like I can't even imagine all of the things she had to go through. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what Maya said. Um, you know, Hattie's thing was she watched people who were in worse situations than she was in. Like I mentioned, her father being injured in the Civil War. Um, she probably saw lots of poverty. Um, the McDaniel family, they weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination. And so... I believe her thing is about confidence and not letting someone talk you out of what your passion is because she wouldn't let anyone talk her out of it. And she knew from an early age, she wanted to perform and she wanted to make a difference. And she undoubtedly did that hands down. people find more information about the Hattie McDaniel estate? Yeah, you can go to www.hattiemcdaniel.com. There's a lot of information on the website and there are going to be more updates coming. There'll be some podcast projects. There's a docu-series that we're, we're kind of molding and shaping and, and working on. And there's going to be a book as well some of my travels and some of the things about Hattie that a lot of us didn't know, including myself. Like, you know, she was a drummer, so who knew? But, uh, yeah. There is more to come. That is so good to hear. Uh, Maya, I also want to give you an opportunity to uh, shout out your social medias and where people can find you, because it sounds like we might be watching you on a big screen someday, so. (laughs) Yes, hopefully, prayerfully. But you all can follow me on Instagram at MayaJ04. That's M-A-Y-A-J-A-I-04. And my website is mjaip.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you both for your time. We are so happy that we were able to dive into this conversation today. Thank you so much for listening to Love Girls, the podcast, because every girl has a story and our stories matter. Mm-hmm.